Welcome back to Kansas City Real Talk by KCRAR. I'm Alex Gehring. And I'm Bobby Howe. Hi, Bobby. How are you doing this morning? I'm fabulous. It is bright and early. We're over at the Sheridan Overland Park next door to the convention center getting ready to do recharge this morning and there's just energy in the air everywhere. Did you get a chance to walk through the expo hall this morning? I did not get a chance to walk through the expo hall. I came straight here. Tell me about the expo hall. It's madness. It's complete chaos. I was pretty much mugged on my way going through there, but in a good way. It was a good mugging, and there was tons of people all milling about, getting ready to go inside and get their seats and get started for this exciting day we have in front of us. The parking lot was packed. I, well, so there's like 78 conferences going on in this area today not only recharge downstairs there is the automotive service professionals conference so if you want to come on over and, and learn about automotive service professionals and then there's a big uh, technology conference going on next door over at the convention center so lots of activity going on here today Awesome. Well, so what's going on at Recharge today? We have two pretty big speakers. They're two pretty huge names in the real estate sphere. So uh, first this morning, we have Stefan Swanepoel. He's the author of NAR's Danger Report that came out, oh, about four years ago. It's a great, great book. I'm going to talk about it here in a little bit. Um, And every year he puts out his Swanepoel 200, which is the top 200 most influential people in real estate. And then he does a trends report every year. The one of the amazing thing about Stefan is typically when he predicts something's going to happen in the real estate sphere, it usually eventually happens. So Stefan's one of those, uh, he's actually known as a black swan. And he's really interesting to listen to and some of the ideas that he comes up with. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that's going to be really exciting. And you're going to be, you're going to get to interview and him. And I get to interview bit. him. So, which is really exciting and fun uh, getting to have a one on one interview with Stefan. And uh, so, the other person <laughs> that we have today is Jimmy Mackin. He's co founder of Curator along with Chris Smith. They are known for their water cooler series on Facebook. And he has a lot of really good social media tips and ideas. And I'm really excited to see what Jimmy's going to be bringing to the table today. I've gotten to hear Chris speak before. I'm really mm-hmm. excited to hear what Jimmy has to say. Yeah, they're, they're, pretty much a power couple except they're not really a couple so we're starting rumors but and together as partners (laughs) they work really really well together so um, they have over 115 episodes and eight and a half million minutes have been watched of their content wow that's a lot eight and a half million minutes Minutes. someday we'll be there alex we're not quite there yet we're working on it though someday so well so here what time is it right now so we're recording right now at 8 30 yes what time does the whole shindig start so it's if we're gonna get technical it is 8 26 the no no here's why the doors open at 8 30 so the expo hall is filling with all of the people waiting to get into the doors, waiting to find their seat. And if you're are an RPAC major investor, you get up front seating. So remember that for next year, there are perks that come along with being an RPAC major investor, which means you invest over $1,000 a year into RPAC. We'll talk about that at another time. And uh, so the doors are going to open at 8.30. Kip's going to go on at 8.45. And I believe uh, Stefan starts at 9 a.m. Perfect. Yep. So awesome. Well, I'm really excited to have Recharge back. I'm really glad that it's not explode this year. And I'm so excited that we've got such really great speakers. Um, and we're really excited to bring you exclusive content from both of our speakers um, here at, throughout this episode. Yeah, you're going to get both of them. And, you know, while we're talking about them, while we're kind of wrapping up this intro, uh, it would do us no service if we didn't talk about Bobby's book bit. Bobby's. <laughs> 
So we've been discussing like how how we need to brand Bobby's book bit. We're trying to decide, and maybe we can like do some kind of a poll or something. I don't know if we can do like a poll or maybe Amber's kind of nodding her head. Um, Amber's the producer, so in case she keeps us in check, guys, she keeps us in check, (laughs) which is very hard at eight thirty in the morning. But we're just trying to decide if it's Bobby's book bit. And can you do the sound? Because I can't quite do the sound. So Bobby's book bit, or some kind of a jingle like it could be bobby's book bit do 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 like it was that a few days ago go back and listen to the previous episode and here's the thing i can't do the do to do to do but i can do the rare so <laughs> see we have our talents there, it's true we're this amazing really, we are amazing so if you would rather have it be bobby's book bit <laughs> see i really can't do it this no, is good as scary <laughs> it's too I'm worried for too people. real too real or if you want it to be bobby's book bit with dues afterwards mm-hmm. um you can uh i don't know vote vote take, on, take on facebook, facebook. amber yes. says on facebook yes maybe maybe comment on facebook if you prefer the rare or the do dues and i will explain the rare if you look at the word kcrar rar turns into rar and so that's how we often call the association kcrar and then it turned into rare so it's kc rare that's that's what happened man this is why we normally record in the afternoons guys we are not awake yet and we are just on caffeine fumes right now well what good since we haven't decided yet it's a user it's it's a listener choice that's scary um what (laughs) what is bobby's book bit my book bit today is stefan swanapol's danger report talk to us about Um, the danger report so the danger report was commissioned by the national association of realtors and the strategic thinking advisory committee um, I happened to sit on the committee for the two years that this report was being prepared by Stefan. And it's a look at five different uh, places within our industry, agents, brokerages, associations, MLSs. And I'm forgetting the fifth one right now off the top of my head. And there are, um, yeah, I think believe the consumer, there are 10 dangers listed within each section. And they're level of ranking but you can go in yourself and change the ranking if you think one danger is a little bit more dangerous than the other Um, there's a predictability pattern of how um, likely this is to happen within the real estate industry and then there is a timeline given of when Stefan believes that this danger is going to take place Um, like I said the report was put out about four years ago if I remember correctly and we've actually already seen a couple of them come into play with you know um large brokerages buying out independent brokerages and things like that. So we're starting to see some of these things come into play within the danger report. So it's a really good read um, and it gets you deeper knowledge of the industry. And it's not something that we need to be scared of, but it's one of those things you don't want to stick your head in the sand about just having an awareness around it. So that should we see these things start to show up, we can be reactive to it, or maybe there's things we can be proactive towards. And I want to give a quick plug to the UMKC Realtor Leadership Academy that we have through KCRAR, um, which is an amazing program. I'm going through it right now, um, and it's really unbelievable. One of our biggest focuses is the danger report, um, and it's been really interesting to read through all of that and uh, and and just think about it a little bit and think about ways that we as an industry can uh, kind of 
we don't want to shield ourselves from it necessarily, but see the things that we can embrace and the things that we need to fix within our industry um, and, and hopefully be a little proactive about it. Um, it's really fascinating. So if you're interested in the uh, UMKC Realtor Leadership Academy, um, definitely reach out and, and look it up online. Uh, there will be stuff coming out on Resource KC about it uh, for the next enrollment period, I'm sure. So, well, is that the end of our intro? I think it could be. So uh, it's, you know, it's 832. The doors are opening. We want to make sure that we get our seats. We don't want to be at the back of the room not knowing what's going on there. Well, so we're major investors. So we, are, <clears throat> we have our seats up front for us. Uh, so we'll be back in just a little bit with Stefan Swanepoel. See you then. All right, welcome back to Kansas City Real Talk, brought to you by KCRAR. I'm Bobby Howe, and right now I'm here with Stefan Swanepoel. How are you doing, Stefan? Hi, Bobby. Hi, listeners. Yay! So, Stefan just got off stage uh, with his opening keynote session. That was, and I'm flipping pages, and you're going to hear those pages. That's so annoying. Um, 2017 to 2022, Transformation of the Residential real estate brokerage industry. Um, was an amazing session. I absolutely loved it. But for those of our listeners who does not have the background information with you, Stefan, I, we worked together as part of the Strategic Thinking Advisory Committee back when the Danger Report was coming out. So I feel like I have a pretty good in-depth knowledge of who you are. Give our uh, reader or readers, our listeners, a Reader's Digest version of who Stefan is. Oh my goodness, a Reader's Digest version. That's unfair. Right? Um, <laughs> I have been uh, an association CEO like Dale Stinton of a national NAR association in a foreign country. I've run a national MLS as the CEO in a country as well. I have owned one, two, three, four, about four or five real estate companies uh, ranging from uh, a few hundred agents to a few hundred offices. I was also CEO of one of the big franchises worldwide that had 26,000 agents. Um, I've written 44 books about real estate and for the last 20 years, my sins, the payment for my sins is that I have decided I want to analyze every single thing in the real estate industry that I can find. And I have uh, tracked down everything, and I spend probably about uh, 2,500 hours a year. So in the last 20 years, 50,000 hours researching this beloved industry of yours and mine that we all care so much for. And you're pretty darn good at it. <laughs> Thank you. And for those that do not recognize your accent... Where are you from, Stefan? Oh, equally tricky. Uh, my dad was a diplomat. He was originally appointed as a diplomat for Queen Elizabeth in England, and he was stationed around the country, around the world. And I was actually born in the Serengeti in Kenya. I always joke down the street from Obama, <laughs> but I don't know if he was there or not. <laughs> and then uh, we stayed there for many years, and then we moved to Hong Kong. So my first language I spoke was Swahili. My second language was Mandarin. And then the third country which my dad was stationed was South Africa. And I graduated high school and my bachelor's and master's degree in South Africa. So by the time I was in my 20s, I was completely confused. I had no idea who I was. And it took me about uh, 10 years to travel the world to try and find home. And I found it when I came to America. And I've now been a citizen for 17 years. Wow. That's absolutely fascinating. I always love hearing your story because it's just you've done so many things. You've been so many places. And... You're just always so right on with what you do. So, Thank you. Um, so just we're going to start with a few like you know simple, easy questions here. Ooh, easy ones. I like easy yeah, ones. Easy ones. Yeah. What's your definition of real estate professionalism? Wow, uh, professionalism is is uh, going beyond the call of what is expected. Of course, you must do what is expected, but you should go beyond the call of what is expected and deliver um, exceptional service. 
uh, with a high level of, of ethical standards and commitment to having your consumer, whether it's a buyer or seller, um, achieve whatever they would like to achieve. I like that. I like that. Finish the sentence. Realtors who will be successful in the coming years are the ones who will be open-minded about change and willing to implement what is necessary to succeed in the future. Thank you. That's that the change is the one thing, you know, I, I, I run an, oh, I just actually just stepped out of that. I'm stepping into ownership as we speak, um, stepped out of uh, running a 450 agent office. And I love my people. And sometimes I just want to shake them like, you have to be open to change. Things change. Even some of my new people coming in are like, but it was always this way. Yes, there is old school and there is no new school and there is a convergence of the two. And when we just want to be so close-minded about ourselves, it's, there is no industry which you can be closed-minded in, but you especially cannot be closed-minded in this industry. I fail to understand how people could even attempt to be close-minded. Uh, very few, if none of us, would like to go back to uh, paper airplane tickets, standing in line in front of Walmart to get a piece of you know, whatever it is you need to buy, um, or reading the newspaper. Right. It's funny, you were on stage, you were talking about Amazon Prime, and 20, or 70% of the audience is a member of Amazon Prime. My best friend was sitting two people down from me. She's two years younger than me. She does not have Amazon Prime. And I looked at her like she had like crazy horns growing out of her head. And she's like, it's just not a thing for me. And I turned to the person sitting next to me, and I said, if Amazon Prime wasn't coming to my house every day, Ooh, I would be concerned that something was wrong. That's just such an integration into my life. And yet for someone I'm so close with, that's just not an integration in their life. And that's just, it's really hard for my brain to balance that. And yet... Can you live without Netflix? No. I mean, so there are things which have become so common in our lives. I, I think Amazon and e-tickets and, and Netflix are, are small, insignificant examples. But that's what the future is. Change. Yeah. Well, even yesterday, my husband and I were having a conversation. Samsung is the top producer of Blu-ray and DVD players, and they are no longer going to be producing those because of the move towards the digital. Now, is it going to be like the ebook or the ebook thing, where it goes ebooks and then we come back to paper? Where we're going to come back to digital DVDs or you know actual DVDs we touch? I don't know. And if you go back ten or twenty years, do you know that the number one producer at that stage of um, Walkmans and of televisions were, in many cases, Panasonic? Mm-hmm. They no longer manufacture them. They took a deliberate decision to say, this is a dying market. I'm walking away from that. I'm now going to go to big servers or B2B or kind of smart city technology and not just a DVD player. Right. Yeah. They were smart ahead of the game. Yes. Not waiting till they already died. Your exit strategy, you had the business cycle up there. Not waiting till you're in the purple. You're going to die. You're going to reinnovate and decide now, who you're going to be. Of course, very hard to do. Oh, yeah. No, no, so, no. But you're right. That's what one should do. You should... You should change ahead of the curve under your own terms and your own conditions the way you want to manage it than being forced to change because circumstances has put you in a spot where you didn't want to be. Proactive versus reactive. Yes. Exactly. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, I have another finish this sentence question for you. The smartest strategic play for an association of any size is? Is to understand that the benefits of an association as seen in the previous century no longer have the same value proposition than they did in the past. It's not that the value proposition of the past was wrong. It served the time, the
the audience, the people. There is a growing understanding that many of the services offered by an association are already being offered either by a franchisor or by a network organization or maybe just by the web in general. Therefore, an association that thinks it should offer what it did in the past will find itself eclipsed by the industry. But an association still fills a very valuable need. It brings people together. Of course, we all understand it's huge value in advocacy. So it can do lots of things, but it needs to change and morph. And unfortunately, associations are traditionally known as nonprofit organizations run by committee. So they are historically organizations that move a little stodgy-like. We've got to change that. I wouldn't say we have to be run like a business because an association is still not truly a business. It's still a nonprofit. But when they say it should be run like a business, we mean with business-minded, management-minded principles and meetings and committees and decisions and accountability. The things that we as a younger generation today just take for granted. So for those of our listeners who were not sitting in the room just a few minutes ago and, you know, you're heavily involved in the association world. I'm heavily involved in the association world. I am chair of strategic thinking for NAR this year. So we're in that world. It's really hard sometimes to see outside those walls. But one of the comparisons I loved that you made up on stage was a comparison, an exaggerated comparison. We, we're going to you know, disclose that, obviously. But the comparison between the speed at which Zillow can move versus the National Association and the way that that hindered us. Can you summarize that again for those sure. who were not in the room? Yes. As you said, <clears throat> sometimes when you do a comparison, you know when you started that it's not a fair comparison. Right. But the points that you're trying to illustrate come out in the comparison. So so don't ever compare NAR to Zillow. They're, they're not the same in any way whatsoever. But if you look at the traditional response time of an organization like NAR, and they've gotten much better in the last couple of years. They've shown us once or twice that they can take decisions quickly. But traditionally, a, a, a for pro, sorry non-profit-driven association committee usually has subcommittees and, and presidential advisory committees, and they have leadership committees and boards, and things usually go through, through levels and stages. So what happens is that a decision often, often takes many months, six to 12 months, before it moves through these stages. Again, in, in the preceding decade, in the preceding century, you had the luxury that that was okay because things moved slower. In today's world, things move fast. You read about it in, in, in the news. Um, everybody's talking about it tomorrow. A week later, it's at a convention. And a month or two later, it's actually happening in the market. So what happens in companies such as Zillow, the one which we mentioned, they are a very proactive kind of a company. And there are other companies like that. I, Redfin's probably like that as well. I think Compass is probably like that as well. But, but I, I, I was um, uh, involved indirectly with somebody who was working for Zillow who shared with me that something had happened in the market and they were called to their boardroom minutes after they read it on the news. And, and the CEO of the organization said, hey, well, what does marketing think? What does strategy think? And they basically went through the key department heads. Everybody gave their opinion. They threw it around for a half an hour or an hour. They came to a conclusion that they had to do something. They voted on it. They took a decision right there within the hour or two hours of it had happened. They said to each other, well, which department has the manpower? Which department has the budget at the moment? And they allocated it. And that afternoon, two people walked back to the office with marching orders to go and make something happen, which they had only read upon in the news in the morning, which we know that the association in most cases would be taking months, maybe years. Right. So 
if you are going to have that happen on a constant basis where your competitor takes decisions and actions within a short time frame, whether it's now, this is an exaggerated case, whether it's in a day or a week or a month, doesn't mind, in a short time, and you and or your organizations take it in a longer time frame, six months, nine months, 12 months, then the organization moving faster is just going to simply do more than you do. They will get to results quicker. Now, it is possible that you could say, if you move fast, you might make a mistake. That is true. But it does not mean that when you move slow, you don't make mistakes as well, right? Mistakes are something from, from bad leadership, bad implementation. It's got nothing to do with time. Yes, allowing more time to research does give you access to more knowledge, but it doesn't guarantee the result. Unfortunately, in today's world where you take longer to decide, yes, you do do your homework. But by the time the homework is done, the market has already shifted and reinvented itself again. So you're again behind the eight ball. So there is a thinking today which has a lot of merit, and that is... Look at a product, try and come up with the best solution you have with the talent around the table that you have at the moment. Yes, bring in advisors or consultants that maybe can assist you with that, but then take the plan and execute it as quickly as you can, even if you execute it in stages or in phases, right? Go test it, go focus group it, go stage it, but roll out with it and get the momentum of change while it happens. And, you know, I think that's the thing that too often whether it's a solo agent, it's a brokerage, it's an association, whatever it is, they get stuck into analysis paralysis. They analyze something to death before they take any action, before they move forward, before they do anything, when they would just go forward, make the mistakes, and then learn from it. You know, fail forward. We've all failed in our lives, and we get farther ahead because of those failures and the things that we learn from it, and stop worrying about trying to be perfect all the time. And for our uh, people that are not heavily involved in the association, since that's what our question was around, they see us doing nothing. They just see us sitting around a boardroom and they do, what does the association do for me? They don't see anything there where if we would actually act, I think that's sometimes what creates the animosity between, you know, we have to buy our leads back from Zillow and everybody else, but there it creates that animosity between even what the National Association, as they like to say, allowed to happen with Realtor.com versus what the association is, is there's that animosity that's built up because they see them going and doing things and we're just sitting by and letting it happen, letting them yeah. take our things. We, we are an interesting society, and you mentioned an interesting word. We are not perfect. We will never be. Not your association, not your MLS, not our company. Simply from the point of view that we have too many cogs, uh, we have too many people, we have too many moving parts. Um, NAR will always be blamed for something. Simply because of the diversity of its members, you are going to have people that have radically different opinions. If you are running a one-man show as compared to somebody who's running one of the mega multi tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of agents, your needs, your wants, your desires, your budgets, your goals, your timeline, your speed, they all differ. And if NAR is trying to serve all of them, it doesn't matter what he does, somebody is going to say, you did not serve me. And NAR cannot serve everybody all the time with every decision. So a good leader at an organization will look at its entire membership, and there will be times which you will be rolling out certain products, which will be more beneficial to a certain segment of the market. But if you only serve the one-man show, the big companies will leave. If you serve the big companies, the small ones will throw stones or whatever it is. So... Um, not everybody wants a wall in the United States, right? Right. And whether you take the wall down or you build a wall, half will be in favor, half will be against. And the association has got the same rock and a hard spot position. It's right. tough. Yeah, it, it, you know, speaking of that, it kind of leads over into um, a question that I had about the MLS. So how can the MLS innovate in the confines of the members who want to keep 
innovation in the broker domain. But that's typically within the big brokerage domain. The independents are like, please go do things for us because we can't afford to do it. But how do MLS continue to innovate within what they're given as parameters? I don't believe that technology is the is the uh, innovator that the product uh, that the broker should use. Uh, technology is um, the platform. It is the medium. It is the breathing air. It is the oxygen. When I go to a bank and I put my ATM card in, I don't care what software is running behind it, and I don't care whether this bank is part of another bank's network. If I put my card in, I need two hundred bucks, and I need it now. Don't tell me that it's not compatible with or it doesn't work. The same applies here. That we shouldn't say, well, my ATM is pink and your ATM is blue, and that mine is special. Brokers will succeed at building good relationship with their clients, at delivering, you said, professional services, giving ex- excellent and exceptional um, feedback and quality and follow-up, becoming that, and there are many words for this, but that, that home advisor, that home consultant, that facilitator that makes the American dream come true. And you are using technology, you are using the MLS, you are a member of the association, but your membership of the association is not your competitive advantage. The MLS is not your competitive advantage. The MLS is a tool that we all use to share information, gather information, scrub clean, and assimilate it back to the market. It should always be working, it should always be there, we should all get the stuff at the same time, we should all be treated fairly but it shouldn't become the competitive edge. So therefore, if the association can create better platforms, better technology, to the benefit of everybody in the industry, that's great. The big companies might say, I have it, great, then get something else which they don't have and take it further one step. You should be pushing forward in any event. If the association can catch up to where you are, you're already behind. It comes back to scarcity versus abundance, and what's my value proposition? Absolutely. So how can independent brokerages that are left standing after the recent acquisition frenzy thrive in the market that we're in? You know, there are so many sayings in our industry which says that that real estate is global, but local is still local, right? So real estate is still sold on a very much a relationship business. And the reason for that is I did a wonderful study in 1999 where I tried to dissect all of the products which we have uh, entire in in, in outside of all of industries. Because at that stage in 1999, they said that we were were realtors, us angels, we're going to be disintermediated. And I didn't think it was going to be true then, and it's now... 28 years later, I still don't believe it's going to be true. And the reason is that that not everything is a commodity. I'm looking at your at your pad and your mm-hmm. pencil, which you have in front of you. A pencil is a pencil is a pencil. You can buy it at Staples. You can buy it at Office Max. You can buy it. You can get it as a gift. The hotel will give it to you as a gift. You can have this pen. We can all have the pen. I can FedEx you the pen. I can ship you the pen. You can have 10 pens. Real estate's not the same. You're not FedExing no property to nobody. There's not 10 of the same property. We can't all live in the same home at the same time. Only one of us can own the home. I can take these 10 pencils and put them in my pocket. I can't put my house in my pocket. When I buy a pen, nobody asks me if I'm married. Nobody wants to know what my income is. A pen is what we would call a standard uniform commodity. It's like a CD. It's like a book. It's like a piece of paper. Then you get slightly more complex commodities. I would say travel tickets. We can have 300 people sit on a plane, but everybody can't sit in seat 1A, right? But we can be on the same plane, but we don't all pay the same price. We get different services. We get treated differently. They don't want to know if I'm married, but they do ask things like my credit card information and my security information. So they do ask for more. The next step up would be a mortgage. Now they do want to know if I'm married. They do want to know if I've got double income. They do want to know if I'm going to rent the house or stay in the house. They do ask my social security number. So they ask for even more information. And as you progress down the line of all commodities, all products, 
in my humble opinion, the most unique commodity of all things, with the exception of people. And we can't sell people. That is illegal. <laughs> but if we take a legal commodity, it's real estate. There is no two homes that are the same. Even if they were built on the same floor plan on a track development by the same builder, they're on two different lots. One's got a tree, one's got a pool. As soon as the people move in, they make changes and tenant improvements and put carpets in and tiles and change it. Sometimes in California, buildings slide down mountains. Other places, we have earthquakes, then we have fires. No two houses are the same, which means that when you buy a standard commodity, a book, a pen, an airplane ticket, you can completely automate that process because you're buying a SKU number. Houses don't have skew numbers. They are all unique and they are constantly evolving as people live in them. Therefore, we need to go and inspect every house every time because the neighbor or the owner could have done something yesterday to the house. As a result of that, that last one mile of copper wire needs to still be somebody. Now, we might say not, there's not going to be a realtor. I don't know why it shouldn't be a realtor. But does it matter whether we call them a realtor or a home advisor or a real estate professional? It doesn't really matter. There is going to be a knowledgeable local person who has exceptional knowledge of the local market, the terms, the conditions, the neighborhood, the society, the roads, the highway, the airports, and is going to be a trusted advisor for whoever would like to buy or sell that piece of real estate where they can interact, build a bond, and feel comfortable. Now, of course, if you say, I want to buy 25,000 houses because I'm putting it into an investment trust, that's a different transaction. That's an investment transaction. That's a stock market. That's a retransaction. That's not the norm. We are now talking about the approximately five and a half to six million home buyers and sellers, so that's 12 million, that every year go through this wonderful process, which we call home buying. I could not agree more. Talking about commodities, it makes me have flashbacks back to the danger report and yes. some of the concepts within that. But at the end of the day, it comes back to those personal relationships and what we're all about. And I think too often we get caught up in all of the other things of the, what does my marketing look like? What brand am I associated with? When in the end, people are working with people to complete a transaction. And I think that's just so important in the end to keep yes. remember that. And what, what the audience must please understand, it's not a black and white situation. It's not that, oh, you say now it's just about relationships? No, we're not saying that. Of course, technology is important. We're saying it's not just about technology, right? It is finding that unique, wonderful balance of skill and talent and products and services and knowledge and information, your attributes and your ability to connect with people. It's all of the above. And although none of us all have a perfect score on all of it, and therefore you find different kinds of agents that focus more on one aspect than the other aspect. A good consumer, a good realtor, would serve a consumer by trying to fill as many of the needs of that buyer and seller as possible. And that means being knowledgeable, using the best technology you can, helping with the knowledge that he needs at the point of time, and doing the best you can to give him a pro professional service. It's the whole package, essentially. Absolutely. You have to have the whole package. Yeah. So just a couple more questions for you. Ooh, one more. Two more. Two more. Two more. A couple. Two. Uh, once the Wall Street venture capital dust settles, what's the first big broker pivot you foresee that will have an impact on their agents on the street? Wow. Try and repeat that question again because I'm not even sure I understood the question. Okay. Once the Wall Street venture capital dust settles, what's the first big broker pivot you foresee that will have an impact on their agents on the street? 
I'm still not quite sure that I know what we can cut this the too. answer. But no, I'm going to I'll answer that. I mean, I'll try, but I don't know. It's a, it's a complex question you're asking. I think if the if the inflow of money stops, the first thing we're going to look for is to see if all of the companies which were funded can actually now survive without the money that came in. So did they build the company to critical enough mass that they can actually ride their momentum and wave out? The next would be is, did which of the existing companies actually amended their business plan to be progressively? So you don't have to throw away your old business plan, but you have to tweak it, maybe 20, 30, 40, 50%. So, so did the Religies and the Berkshire Hathaways and the Keller Williams, did they tweak their plan sufficiently enough that they can compete with the companies that are now remaining effectively enough? And then which can read the, the next wave? which is now past the Wall Street wave, as you called it, what is the next wave? Whether the next wave is maybe more consumerism, maybe more mobile, maybe more technology, whatever the next wave is, which one of those companies then reads the wave, the next wave accurately, and while they are tweaking and finding their feet, is to then prepare for the next wave again. Because unfortunately, it's rinse and repeat all over again, mm -hmm. right? Um, innovation is not limited to today only. Now, it doesn't come every single day because there are usually cycles. There are usually shifts. shifts. It usually happens in, in batches. The same time Uber started, Lyft started, right? They didn't start 20 years apart. So it's strange how these cycles happen at the same time, and there's always two or three or four competitors that push each other to newer heights. And then usually one or two win and one or two lose. Yeah. And then of the existing people, one or two will succeed mm -hmm. and one or two won't. And that's okay because you have now maybe two winners succeeding, two of the older ones failing, and now you have a new paradigm with two new winners and two old-time winners, which now form up a new, a new paradigm. And the old companies won't necessarily disappear. They'll be absorbed, acquired, bought, rolled up. So in many cases, their legacy will remain. They might have another sticker on the front door. It goes back to how we started this, talking about change and the ever-evolving door. And we have to realize that it will continually be changing and doing things. Okay, my last question for you, and several people um, wanted me to ask this question. You've often been criticized for the uh, influencers list being lacking diversity. Hmm. Is that uh, just a perception that there's a lack of diversity amongst our influencers, influencers, or is it a reality that there's a lack of diversity within the influencers of the real estate industry? Yeah, it's a painful stick that I'm being hit with every year. I know. And I, I, feel, the, I feel the pain. The, the list which we created is, is not a friends and list. It's not a buddies list. It's, it's a mirror which is being held up to the industry. So if, if the people or certain people feel that there should be more people of color, we simply don't have people of color in our industry to the quantity that people would like it to be. Um, so even if it's women, um, do we have more women in leadership today than ever before? Yes, but strangely enough, not in any significant numbers. We track every woman uh, of significance in any position. We track people of color. We actually have a separate team that do actual extra effort to go find African-Americans or Asian or Hispanics. And they're simply not there. You can still look at our industry. And if you physically look at the biggest company, they are still today predominantly run by baby boom white men. Mm -hmm. And so the list is just like any of our other lists. We do a list of leaders, but we do a list of the biggest associations, the biggest MLSs, the biggest brokerages, the biggest holding companies, the biggest whatever. And the list is purely a statistical analysis of what's there. Now, can we read from that that we have work to do? 
yes, we can. But at the end of the day, not that I'm not willing to do the work, I will, but I'm the statistician. I'm the guy that found you the information. The solution doesn't come from me. The solution comes from a collective industry as a whole. We should have more mentoring programs that make it easier for people of color or for women or for young women to go into leadership. But we don't. Um, I have looked for them for 20 years. They are, as a rule, not there. And when you find one isolated one in, you know, I don't know, Boise, I don't say, you point to one. It's not big. It's not national. It's not a scope. Um, many times when we have leaders replaced, the leader of, of Keller Williams was just replaced. Mm -hmm. The leader of Zillow was just replaced. The leader of Realogy was replaced last year. The Realogy of NRT, uh, the CEO of uh, uh, NRT was just replaced. The leader of... Um, NAR was NAR, replaced. Yeah. And all of the cases I've met replaced, there were white men that stepped down and they were once again replaced by white men. So I understand that the people notice it because the list is very black and white. Mm -hmm. The list shows it on a piece of paper. But um, if you're upset, step up, talk to your association. Let's create mentorship programs for the um, people that have not been given the opportunity or have been underprivileged or just have not had the exposure to that opportunity. We have a long way to go in our industry. Um, we have more women than most in the sales roles. Uh, the women in the middle management roles are picking up very, very strong. In the highest level, um, they are still far and few between. Right. And that, let that uncomfortableness of seeing that list spur you into action. Yes. If you're okay with the list, that's your thing. But if it's uncomfortable that means you have a duty and an obligation to go do something about it. And I am aware of many CEOs, uh, both male and female, of almost all the companies um, that um, we, have a, we have a recruiting division in our company at the moment called T3 Talent, where people come to us and say, I'm looking for X title, X CEO in a certain company. And we've gone looking and hunting, and the women aren't there. Right. They are scarce. To find a talented, willing, ready, able woman that's willing to put her hand up and say, I am willing to travel 200,000 miles a year. I want to move around. They're just few. Right. And, and the second you find them, they are snatched up in milliseconds. And then, so you put out the advertisement and you get one woman applying for the job and you get 100 men. All right. And then you put five candidates forward to the client, the one woman right. and the five men, and they pick one of the men. Right. Um, I'm sad, uh, but still, unfortunately, reality today. Thank you so much for being so candid with that answer. And just thank you so much for your time today. And thank of you course. for coming to Kansas City. We love having you here. Oh, it's a and pleasure. It's, it was funny because the gentleman sitting next to me, as soon as you started like five minutes in, he's like, I love this guy. And I was like, <laughs> I told you. Um, so just thank you for coming and spending time with us. And thank you for being on the podcast today. We Hi. appreciate your time. I love our industry very, very dearly. I will never do anything to harm it. I am I am your custodian, I am your lighthouse, and I will try and analyze you and get you the best information I always can. Thank you very much. Thanks, Stefan. Take care. Hey, this is Alex. This was supposed to be one episode, but we have so much great content for you that we need to split it up. Tune in to tomorrow's episode, and you'll get to hear my interview with Jimmy Mackin, where he gives us his take on marketing campaigns, possible marketing pitfalls, and some tips on how to optimize your advertising efforts. See you tomorrow. Tomorrow.